You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Good morning. At this time, if you guys could stand for the reading of God's Word, and also if you have little ones, they are free to go to Children's Church. So at this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss them. And while we're doing that, if uh, the adults want to grab their Bibles, uh, our passage today can be found in the book of John, chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 29 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said. After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before that he might be revealed to if did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. You guys can have a seat. Our missionary this week is actually one that serves overseas, and because of that and where they are located, um, I'm not really going to say their name, but God knows his name. So with that, we'll go ahead and pray. Father God, we just lift up this this ministry and, and family to, uh, to you, and we ask that you protect them, keep them safe amidst all that's going on in, in their neck of the woods and the world in general. We ask uh, that you um, keep them safe from COVID as uh, they're in an area of the world that... Um, unfortunately, is also affected. And we also ask for uh, upcoming ministry opportunities for them, um, that there's some Bible training that's potentially coming up here in the next couple months. And along with that, we also ask that you help work out immigration issues and, and a possible trip to the States and, and just all the details that, that you know well ahead of time and, and you already have figured out, but help to uh, put ease in, in this minister, in this family's life. And uh, we just thank you so much for everything that you give to us, that you bestow upon us. This time we ask that you open our hearts even more to hear the message that Pastor Keith has for us. Amen. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, it's weak. <laughs> Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? We uh, successfully smuggled mashed potatoes across the border to Colorado and were not uh, arrested for our crime of celebrating Thanksgiving with another family. It was, it was fun. Um, yeah, we had a good Thanksgiving. Hey, so... Uh, Two things. One thing I forgot to, to mention in the last service. We, uh, this was the first week we actually had one of our services as a uh, uh, face mask mandatory service. That's our very first uh, of our three worship services, so our 8.30 a.m. worship service. Went really well. So I actually saw some, some uh, folks who, who I haven't seen in a while, and it was, it was pretty sweet to, to be able to see some people. So... I was reminded of how important it is to just to be able to gather together and to 
to do that in a smart way, but also to gather together, because I got a news uh, notification after the second service on my news feed that the suicide rate in Japan, uh, people are dying by suicide in more numbers than people are dying by COVID in Japan. Now, my guess is that's true all across, you know, all over the place. And, uh, and we, it's just a reminder that we need each other, that we're made for community. And, um, and so all that to say is I, it was awesome to be able to see some, some people that just can't be here unless there's, unless there were, um, uh, everybody was wearing a mask because some, some folks are just at more risk than others. All right, so we're in this sermon series. We're, uh, we started last week. I focused a lot of time on, on the, the humanity of Jesus, and uh, just, I really enjoyed our time just starting the sermon series. Uh, often uh, with Advent sermon series, we tend to, in a very, I mean, in an understandable way, focus on the deity of Jesus, just the, the, the fact that he's God in flesh. And so last week I wanted to focus on his, his humanity. And, and this week we're going to pick up with, with John the Baptist, who there's about a six-month you know, gap between him and Jesus. And uh, just an interesting, interesting uh, dialogue that John had with some religious leaders. But before you even get there, how many of you have seen uh, or read The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Just, uh, just curious. Yeah, one of my favorite stories. I, I, you know, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite. Was one of my favorite theologians. He's in heaven now. Uh, but he, uh, his, his Chronicles of Narnia series is really good. I read both the book and watched the movie. I probably watched the movie at least once a year. But as you know, uh, with the story, uh, Peter and Edmund, Susan and Lucy find them, themselves in this wardrobe that as they walk through the wardrobe, they enter into the world of Narnia where it is always winter, but what? Never Christmas, right? And and so the Narnia, all of Narnia is under the curse of the White Witch, and and the only person or being that has the ability and the power to to uh, dispel the curse and defeat the White Witch is is Aslan's, uh, but not not the four uh, siblings. Uh, but with their appearing in Narnia, there was a prophecy that the two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve would appear before, before Aslan would, would um, show himself. And one of the other prophecies about Aslan in Narnia was that wrong would be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, he, uh, we shall have spring again. And uh, which spring is life. And so that's one of the reasons why I love, love the Chronicles of Narnia. And I think it's right up there with some of the best Christmas uh, movies out there. John the Baptist uh, was not the promised one who was going to deliver uh, Israel from, you know, from Rome or deliver us from the curse of sin. But he had a, pro- a, a role to play in that whole, that whole process. With his appearing, he would set the stage for the coming of this Messiah, the coming of the promised one who would uh, make all that is wrong with the world right again. 
And he was an interesting character, right? If you know anything about John the Baptist, he wore, I mean, he's kind of like a man's man. He wore camel's hair, and he ate, uh, not that I want to eat locusts, uh, but he ate locusts and, and, and ate honey, and he hung out in the wilderness, and people flocked out to, to, to hear him preach. My guess is he was pretty engaging. They liked, they liked hearing him preach, but he didn't say the, the, the nicest things that you wanted to hear about yourself. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like something he said was, you brood of vipers. <laughs> like that's not one way to win friends is by calling them just a brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And his message was a message of repentance. That people came out, they listened to him, and he called them to turn from their sins and to give their hearts uh, back to God. And, uh, and so that's who he was. So a bunch of religious leaders came to him earlier in John chapter 1, and they asked him a bunch of questions. Like, who are you? Like, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not Elijah. Are, are you, you know, are you possibly the Christ? And he said, no, I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. I'll tell you who I am. And he, and he said who he was. He said, I am the voice, in verse 23, I am the voice of the one crying out, in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He said, basically, the, the, in Isaiah chapter 40, the person that Isaiah was talking about, I'm him. I'm the one, I'm the voice in the wilderness crying out to prepare the way for the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ. And, and that's, that's who I am. And, and later on, he said, he, he makes a statement about this person that he came to prepare the way of. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's really uh, interesting because the religious leaders weren't asking about a Lamb of God. In fact, my guess is they didn't think that they needed a Lamb of God. What they thought they needed, they, what they thought their greatest need was, was to be delivered from the tyranny of Rome, uh, not anything else. And by John saying, hey, the one I came to prepare the way of, he is the Lamb of God who t doesn't just take away the sins of the world, he takes away all of the sin of the world. Like, he is capable of doing that. And so what I want to do is just look at three aspects of Jesus as the one who was sent by God as the Lamb and why, it, why it's significant for Christmas. And, and the first is this, is that the Lamb was sent. This Lamb of God was sent. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, sent by sinners. He was sent by God, which is significant. And, and John said, look, the, the person I'm preparing the way for, Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 40. Like, I, I am that voice preparing for that individual Isaiah 40, chapter 1, or I mean chapter 40, verses 1 and 2 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. So let me just kind of set the context here. So Isaiah 40 was written in light of Israel being judged for her sin. There's an empire, there was an empire by the name of Babylon, uh, if you, you've heard of Babylon, who God used to discipline his people. 
For generations leading up to the moment that Babylon leveled Jerusalem, God warned his people through the prophets, if you do not turn from your sin, if you do not uh, give your hearts back to me, what I, what I warned you that would happen will eventually happen. And, he, and that went on for generations, and eventually God raised up Babylon to judge his people. And then in Isaiah 40, like they're, they've experienced the judgment of God, and Isaiah 40 is God reminding his people or telling them, I have not forgotten you. Like I know right now this experience that you're that you that you're you, you're just surrounded by it sucks and and but I want you to know I have not forgotten you I I I have a plan for you and I have a purpose for you and in verse verse three of Isaiah forty um, this is how God will comfort His people a voice cries in the wilderness how many of you have ever been in the desert. There's not a whole lot of life that happens in the desert, right? Um, and, and in the desert is, is death. The wilderness is the desert, and it's symbolic of the curse. There's no life there. And God is saying there's a voice. There's a voice in the wilderness, and because there's a voice in the wilderness, there is life. And that voice is, is saying something. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert, a highway of, you know, for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, the... the, the significant thing about this is that when Babylon would go into a nation and they would, you know, overtake it, there was somebody who would cry out on behalf of the king a certain statement. And it was this, make his way good, talking about the king. The king is coming, the emperor is coming, make his way good, renew his road, make straight his path, hew him out a track. That's actually something that was actually said about the Babylonian Empire. And what God is saying, no, there's no emperor that's coming. There is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who's coming. And when he comes, um, the mountains will be made low, the valleys will be brought up, everything will be made level, and, and things will get better. And the reason why a state, like the Babylonian Empire made the statement that they made, and the reason why we have Isaiah chapter 40, is there are two statements being made. One, with the coming of the king, the sovereign one was coming. Like this king is sovereign. He is in control, and he has the ability to do what he's going to do. He has the authority and the ability to do what he's going to do. And then secondly, that with his presence all things would be made better. So the, Babylon, the Babylonians, they're, they were promising, not, uh, not necessarily something you could, they could keep, but they were promising that with the Babylonian empire, you will thrive. And what God is telling Israel in Isaiah 40 is you won't thrive under the Babylonian empire, but you will thrive in a relationship with God and with his promised king. And John is telling these religious, the religious leaders who didn't even ask him about the, the Lamb of God. He's saying, 
I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, and, and my message is simply this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That our greatest need is not, is not Republican, it's not Democrat, it's not America, it's not even the deliverance from COVID. Our greatest need our greatest need is to have the tyranny of our hearts dealt with, the tyranny of our own sin. And the only one who's powerful enough to do that, uh, who has the ability to do that, and who's capable of doing that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Period. Like That's the message of Christmas. Later in Isaiah 40, verse 5, it says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That God is going to do this thing. And, um, and John said, that person that Isaiah is promising is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John went on to say, and he said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I have seen and I have bore witness that this is the Son of God. And he said, like, I, I, I didn't see it until then, which is interesting. Like, I, I don't know what kids played with when, when John the Baptist was growing up and Jesus was growing up. Like, I, I, I don't, but my guess is because they were related, they hung out together. And John didn't, he didn't know that Jesus was the Lamb of God until later. Which leads me to the second, uh, the second point here is that the Lamb is our substitute. And what I mean by that is, is the Lamb of God is what is needed to address our sin problem. And John said the way he, the, the, how he discovered that Jesus was the Lamb of God was when Jesus was baptized. And in John chapter 1, we're kind of given just a small glimpse as to what took place. But as you, as you read the other gospel accounts, there was more that happened. In Luke chapter 3, Verse 21 says, Now when the people were uh, baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So that also happened, that we don't read about in John, that the heavens opened up, and a voice, an audible voice, said, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. And then there was another thing that happened that we learn about in Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus approached John to be baptized, and John said to Jesus, he said, I am not worthy to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you instead, Jesus. You're the one who needs to baptize me. And Jesus said to him, he says, let it be so now, for thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And what Jesus was saying is, John, I get it. I don't need to be baptized because I, because I, I don't have, you know, I, I don't have to repent of my sins. I don't, there are no sins to repent of. I am being baptized as a, as a statement to be made before a watching world that I am going to fulfill every letter of the law of God perfectly. Something you, John, can't do, nor can the religious leaders or anybody else can do that. So this is, so, so what John discovered was that at the baptism of Jesus was three things. With the descending of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, John learned that Jesus was going public with his ministry. Like he, that was when Jesus said, it's on now. I am, I am publicly announcing who I am as the Son of God. 
And then with the decree that was made by God of Jesus when he was baptized, John learned that Jesus was the only qualified Lamb of God capable of taking away the sins of the world. And then thirdly, Jesus was baptized to symbolize the fact that he was going to fulfill every commandment of God, obey every commandment of God perfectly. And you've heard me say this over and over again, like about Jesus living the life that we can never live. Well, that's, that's what John discovered. Jesus was able to live the life that we, could, that we could never live. And that was absolutely necessary. He had to do that in order to be the Lamb of God who was capable of taking away our, the sins of, of the world. And when John said, Behold the Lamb of God, he understood exactly what he was saying. Remember last week? Like, who was, who was John's dad? He was a priest. And what was, one, what was one of the responsibilities of the priest? To take care of the sacrificial system in the temple. Every time John's dad was on duty to manage and facilitate the sacrificial system in the temple, do you know what happened? He got blood on his garments. And every time he come and came home, John's dad was probably covered in the blood of not just of sheep, but also other animals that were used to sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people. And you know why John's dad had to get up the very next day and do the very same, uh, mediate the same thing? Because the sacrificial system was never meant to be a permanent system. It was meant to remind us that our problem is big and no animal will ever be able to remedy our sin problem permanently. And so when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he knew exactly what he was saying. Here is the one who was perfect in every way, who is going to die in our place, in my place, for our sins. And he's not going to have to do it multiple times. He will only have to do it once, because that's all that will be required. Every Passover meal that was celebrated, Jesus was reminded of who he was and what he came to accomplish. And Exodus chapter 12 was the first Passover meal where the lamb uh, was brought into the home and it lived with the family for a period of time. And it was, that was intentional because the family would build a relationship with this, with this lamb. And this lamb had to be perfect in every way. There couldn't be any, anything wrong with it. No defects. It couldn't be sick. It had to be, be perfect in every way. And it lived in the home. Reminds me of uh, the experience that we had when, when we had a live nativity when I was involved with youth ministry where we had two sheep. And I can't remember both names that we gave the sheep, but I do remember the one. Uh, and, and we purchased the sheep. And you know why you purchased the sheep? You either kept it or you would what? Slaughter it, right? You would use it for food. And we named the one lamb, uh, well, the one sheep we named Lamb Chop. And the kids were calling him Lamb Chop the whole weekend. It was kind of not nice. <laughs> so we had built a relationship with this thing. And I lived on the property of, of the church. The church it was like a historic property. I lived on the property, and I, I remember thinking about this, this sheep that was going to be butchered for food, and that whole weekend we were hanging out with it and kind of established a relationship with this thing. 
That's what the, the, the people of Israel did every Passover. They built the relationship with this lamb, and then the lamb would be slaughtered, it would be sacrificed, and the blood of the lamb in the first Passover was, marked, it was used to mark the doorposts. John was saying, Behold the Lamb of God, who is like us in every way, but yet without sin, who takes away the sins of the world. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 in the Bible says this about sacrifice. So let's read this together. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Like the Word of God says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And every sacrificial, the, the sacrificial system was meant to remind the people of God that we needed something more than, than just a, a perfect animal. We needed the Lamb of God. John knew exactly what he was saying when he said, behold the Lamb of God. Every Passover meal Jesus celebrated with his family knew that that was meant to point to his role on earth for our sins. Oh, that's Siri talking to me. <laughs> um, Isaiah 53 is another prophecy in the Bible that spoke of Jesus as the Lamb of God. I mean, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, Speaking of Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us, what? Us all, every single one of us. Jesus is our substitute as the Lamb of God. He, he was the perfect sacrifice. That's why John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what's interesting about this is with the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, it was the family, it was you know, most likely the dad, who would provide the Lamb to the family. It was sinners providing the Lamb to the family. But in this case, John is saying, it was no sinner who provided Jesus to us, who, who brought Jesus to us. It was a holy God who sent his son to, to be the Lamb of God in our place. It was God who, out of his great love for you and for me, brought the perfect Lamb to be sacrificed for our sin in the person of his own son. We learn from John's statement about Jesus, which leads me to the third thing that we, that, the, that we learn from John's statement about Jesus, and that is the lamb is our satisfaction. And what I mean by that is that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice in every way. Like he was, the, was 100% qualified to die for our sins in our place. There's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 17 in the Bible that says this. Let's read this together. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Like, that's our condition. Like, you want to know why the world is jacked up? It's because of us. We're jacked up. We've got a sin problem. And, and no legislation, no law, no politician, no president, no country can fix that. 
there's only one cure for her sin problem. And that cure is found in God alone, through his Son. The Bible says that the wrath of God stands against all ungodliness and sin. That his wrath stands against us. And so when we read Isaiah chapter 9, that promise that's on every Christmas card almost, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, is the promise that God is going to remedy our sin problem. And think about Jesus for a minute. Like, I make this statement all the time that Jesus lived the life that we could never live, but think about what that means. He was perfectly holy. Now, like he was without sin. Now, if he was without sin, don't you think he understood the horror of sin more than anybody else on planet Earth? He understood the horror of sin more than anybody on planet Earth. We, we sugarcoat our sin. I mean, we, we, we excuse our sin. We, we say of people um, when they sin, well, they did so because they're only what? Human, Right? which is not true. We sin because we're sinners. That's why we sin. Um, like, but Jesus understood sin in every way. And here is the Christmas story. You ready? He did not recoil. He did not shrink back. He did not gag when he thought about you. He pursued you anyway. Not once did he say, or we told that he said to himself, this was a bad idea. I shouldn't have done this. Not once. And, and, and all at the same time understanding everything that is flawed about us. I mean, all your sin, all of my sin. I mean, have you ever made a decision or done something you really, really, really regret? And it's maybe even still haunts you today? Like every time you think, and now you're thinking about it, I'm like, oh, did you have to bring it up? No, it's in your brain. I didn't bring it up. Um, it, it, like, there's stuff there like, that, that only God knows, and yet Jesus came anyway as your lamb, a perfect lamb, to die in your place for your sins. And it was the love of God that, that, that resulted in him being born. Because Jesus was perfectly holy, he was able to appreciate evil for what it really is. Because Jesus was free of sin, he was able to see and appreciate just how ugly and horrible sin really is. This is why I believe Jesus got angry with the religious leaders. Notice, he didn't like get angry with, with uh, like the sinners and the tax collectors. I mean, there are a couple of instances where he walked into the temple and, and chased out the greedy people, but, but it was the religious leaders he had the strongest things that, that, that he said against, like that he spoke against, because they read the scriptures and they read about what the scriptures said about them and they thought they were, that they were still okay. The real question that they should have been asking John the Baptist was, how can I remedy my sin problem, John? Because John, remember, John's, his whole thing, his whole ministry was preaching a message of repentance. These religious leaders came out and they wanted to have a theological conversation about John's identity, not about their own sin problem. 
So Jesus said of the religious leaders, you can read like a whole list of, they're called the you know, woes, or actually curses. Jesus pronounces curses on these religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23. This is one of the things that he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like the whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Those are some of the things Jesus said about the religious leaders of his day. But when it came to like the, the, the tax collectors and the, and, and, and the prostitutes and, and people like you and people like me, he did not recoil. He did not shrink back. Somebody said of God's wrath when it comes to sin. I want to I um, hear this. Thomas Goodwin said this about God's wrath against sin if it was a fire. He described it this way. All earthly bellows would not have been able to make the furnace hot enough. And yet he sent his son Jesus as the Lamb of God so that our sins could be forgiven and we could escape the wrath of God. In Dane Orland's book, Gentle and Lowly, I highly recommend, said this, of Jesus, he sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. He hates sin, but he loves you. I mean, when Jesus was about to be crucified, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was pleading with God. And what was he pleading? He said, if it is your will, let this cup, what cup? Well, it's a metaphorical cup of God's wrath that Jesus was about to drink. He said, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. But then what did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. And you know what Jesus did after that? He drank every last drop of God's wrath that was in that cup when he went to the cross in your place and in my place. Why? Because he loves you. He wasn't repulsed by you. He came to save sinners like you and like me. That is the message of Christmas. That's what it means for the Son of God to be sent on your behalf and on my behalf. Every breath that Jesus sucked into his lungs, every step he took on the soil of earth was a constant reminder that he came to first Serve as the Lamb of God who would die in your place and in my place. On the cross, Jesus took all of your sin. On the cross, he took every ounce of your sin and my sin. He took all of your lying upon himself, all of your cheating, every filthy thought, every dark thing that you don't want anybody else to know about. Jesus became that on the cross in your place and in my place so that we could escape the wrath of God, so that we could be forgiven. Jesus could have recoiled. He could have turned away. He could have been unwilling to be the perfect lamb that we needed. But he did none of those things. Instead, you know what the Bible says of Jesus? He set his face towards the cross. He never looked back. He pursued the cross. 
He embraced the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 of Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised its shame. And if you were to ask why, why Jesus, why did you do that? Well, he told us why. In Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save who? Me. (laughs) And you, the lost. So that we could be reconciled to God. So that we could no longer be regarded as lost, but found. So that we could be friends of God, not enemies. Later on in this series, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about being a friend of Jesus. Part of, uh, of God sending his son it means that we are now his friends. I mean, think about that. We are his friends. We were once enemies, but now we are friends. And when Jesus went to the cross as the perfect lamb of God, our perfect sacrifice, do you know what happened? He died, <laughs> and, on, and he was buried. And, guess, and what happened on the third day? He conquered death, defeated sin, and he conquered death. The Bible says that he is victorious. Like he, he defeated sin and death as the Lamb of God, and on the third day he rose as the Lion of Judah, the, the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Revelation chapter 5. And all of heaven, we're told all of heaven is singing this song about Jesus. It says they sang a new song. And, and this is the song that they sang. Worthy are you to take the scroll, Jesus, the deed of all creation, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests, kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He's victorious. He didn't stay dead. He went to the cross as the Lamb of God. He walked out of the tomb as the Lion of Judah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming back, and he will balance the scales of justice. He will make what's wrong with this world right. But what people need more than anything else in this world is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. People need that. The nations need that. Our country needs that. And maybe you're here and you've never received that. You need that. You need the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Bible says, and if you're watching the live stream also, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. The Bible says that there is salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus. Jesus said, 
of himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except by me. Period. And if you believe that and you receive that, then the Bible says that your sins will be forgiven, that you will be reconciled to God. You will be not known to him as an enemy. You will be known to him only as a daughter, only as a son forever. And for all of those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, we are assured that there is no condemnation, there is no hell, there is no wrath for anyone who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Period. Amen? Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for the message of Christmas. That when you sent the Son, you sent the Lamb of God to to die in our place, to die for our sins, to take upon himself the wrath that we deserved so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to you, so that we could only know what it means to be a son, to be a daughter of the God of all creation. Thank you for the message of Christmas. Thank you for the greatest news in the universe, and that is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.